Hello, and welcome to the Path of Most Persistence. This is a place where we hear and share tenacious stories of overcoming obstacles with our partners who dare to share a bit of their own personal paths. Thank you for you. joining us today uh, on the Path of Most Persistence. So, uh, really appreciate your time uh, coming to join us today in this interview about persistence and how it's kind of impacted your life and uh, maybe some stories that you might have on ways that you've used persistence to overcome obstacles or to mentor different students and and we'll, we'll kind of get into all of that uh, as we go through this interview process but uh, really appreciate your time sounds good thank you very much and uh kind of been looking forward to this and I'm ready to go. Fantastic. So um, you are the director of the Nuclear Power Institute at Texas A&M. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more of your role uh, as and many other roles I, I know that you do have uh, and what, what all that entails? Certainly. Well, let me, let me start by talking about the Nuclear Power Institute and how it's um, my, it's, a, it's an older organization, been around for over 10 years, and yet my interaction with it, other than a friend of the program, has only been just a little bit over one year. Um, I was asked to come in as the director just last year, a little bit in June of last year, in 2019. And part of the idea was to consider how to... Um, reimagine and, and re... Um, reinstate the programs across the state of Texas for the workforce development. So we have the expansion of our high school programs and things like that. All, that's all I'm going to say about the NPI side of things, except for the fact that it was not something I was seeking out. It was not something that I, if you were to look at my resume, my background, it was not what I was building my career for, but it was an opportunity, I believe, given to me in part because of the experience I do have in the leading of larger programs and the, uh, the ability to grow things from ideas to implementation. So that is uh, something, if you look at my career, get to your other, the other part of your, you know, your question. I have been a, I got my PhD from Purdue University in, um, in uh, 1992. And so since then, and even in, when you're a PhD student, you're already working scientifically and professionally. Uh, so for the last 25, maybe almost 30 years, I, I have been working professionally in the field of nuclear fuel, nuclear processing, material science, nuclear engineering, um, and then the engineering of large systems and the building of, of technology. And then I came out of the National Laboratory System. I worked at Argonne National Laboratory for about 11 years. And then from there, I went to Purdue University for a few years. And then I came to Texas A&M in 2006. I've, you know, climbed the academic ladder. I'm now a full professor in the School of Department of Nuclear Engineering. I also run a laboratory that's called the Fuel Cycle and Materials Laboratory. And I'm the director of the Nuclear Engineering and Science Center which is a larger super center in a sense. And a part of that is the Nuclear Power Institute, which I'm also the director of. The other parts of the Engineering and Science Center involve the, uh, the Nuclear Science Center. The, the, even the, pat, the picture that I see over your, uh, 
left shoulder in my screen of the uh, the reactor building. Uh, it's a new, it's a one megawatt trigger reactor, and I'm the director of the facility and the staff that run and operate that. So overall, right now I run several organizations, and they're all linked through me. So we have the nuclear fuels laboratory, we have the nuclear reactor, and we have the nuclear power institute, which is the whole function of the Nuclear Power Institute is designed to encourage and engage students across the state of Texas and inspire them to consider career options and things that they may not be aware of, but there's so much need and so much opportunity for these young people to make decisions today that will take them into things that they have no idea where they're going, but it, the decisions they make today will impact the rest of their life. And so that's that's a nutshell answer to your question. Thank you. You certainly do have a a, a few titles under your belt. <laughs> yeah. And and with all that in mind, Dr. McDevitt, all the things that you listed as far as your responsibilities, and um, and all the 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 projects that you're working on. How is it, at least for the sake of our audience that will be listening, how is it that you're able to manage um, all of those responsibilities? And I'm sure the pressure that it comes along with that, uh, because with that management, you're still able to produce some incredible work. Uh, so how can you do that? What, what do you do to maintain? You know, I'm not sure if it's an easy formula to communicate, but... Um, one of the things that I would say, first and foremost, no matter what the job is, no matter what the responsibility is, God and family first. You take that first, and then it's a matter of when you have these various responsibilities, finding the right people to work with and delegate and trust and uh, find a way to encourage the teams that you assemble to do the work that's required, whether it's graduate students around a, uh, an, a uranium zirconium alloy project and they, all the different things associated with that, or it's the team at the reactor and trying to make sure that we're in compliance with the regulations and also operating as we are operating and also with the NPI, um, all the different new programs that are being initiated under NPI. If everything had to be done by me, um, never get done. <laughs> and at the same time, I, I'm not going to lie to you, it's, it, it gets overwhelming sometimes. And there are things that just don't get done. If I, if I were to, you know, some of the different pieces of advice that I've received from various bosses and managers that I've worked with, a guy by the name of Chuck McFeeders, that I was my first supervisor at Argonne National Laboratory. And I, I remember talking to him about being overwhelmed with certain tasks. And when I think about it at the time now, I didn't have nearly as much to do as I do now. And his, his, he just looked at me directly in the eye and says, you know, sometimes things just don't get done. And it's more a matter of deciding what does get done and what you can let slip. And sometimes procrastination actually allows you to realize what's not important. Not that I'm suggesting procrastination as a strategy, but when, when things get overwhelming and there's nobody to pass tasks off to, um, certain things lose their importance. And at the same time, life goes on. 
And so you, you, success means you're still working. You're still trying. You're still moving things. You're still trying to move the ball down the field, to use a football analogy. So I don't know if I answered your question fully, but that's certainly what came to mind when you asked it. You did. Thank you so much. So a lot of these uh, moving the ball down the field uh, and sometimes uh, struggling to do so um, requires a lot of perseverance. How do you, how do you really define perseverance? Um, well, there's a, the, the easy answer that comes to mind is sticking to things that are hard. Um, but at the same time, um, there are elements of what you would call perseverance that are beyond your control. And what I, what I mean by that is that every day passes one second at a time. It's going to pass one second at a time, no matter what you do with it. And so there's a certain amount of event happening to you that will just happen. But your role in it is where this concept that we call perseverance is, is really coming to, to play because, you know, when you hit hard things or good things that take a long time, the, the commitment, and that's a word that goes with perseverance, the commitment to um, the attention to detail and the, a bit of perfectionism and the um, just the uh, endurance that it takes to do the next right thing. I know that's become a popular song recently, but I've been using that phrase for years um, to encourage people when they're stuck somewhere to just take the next step, just take the next step. And you know you're going in a particular direction, but you're just taking one step at a time because you can only do the thing that's in front of you now. When you're overwhelmed and you've got 10 things that are due tomorrow, I'm, t I'm describing yesterday for me right now. But when, you go, when you're describing there's 10 things that are due tomorrow, you can't do all 10 at once. Pick the most important one or pick the fastest one or do something so that you can finish something. And just keep going. Because you can only do what you can do. Uh, but at the same time, that's part of the, the journey through life that you have, you're doing it one, one second at a time, and you have some ability to choose what's important. You don't have complete control over that, but you have some ability to accept what people try to impose on you or reject it and, and not work on it. So it's more a matter of, and here and now I feel like I'm starting to ramble, but the point is, perseverance to me just means keep going. Don't give up. Every single one of us has this inner sense where we would love to run and hide. And I, that's, that's, that's me every day. And the idea to resist that inner boy within me that says, just give up and stand up and do these things, whether they're, whether they're hard days or good days, I, I think I'm a natural born couch potato if I would let myself be. <laughs> and so the idea of getting up off the couch and doing things is part of that journey. And so as an example, um, there were some things that needed done by today. I didn't go to bed till four in the morning to get them done. I don't do that every day, but you all know from our email exchanges that I do that from time to time. And yet at the same time, when I do it, it takes a toll on me physically. 
And so I, I, and as I'm getting older, I just turned 55. As I'm getting older, I, I know I need to pull off and back, back off and not do that quite so much. So anyway, that, that's, that's where I would go with that question. Great. Thank you. So um, as you're kind of building your career um, and going through graduate school and everything, did you ever seek out mentorship and guidance as you worked through, I'm, I'm sure there were struggles, uh, and did you find it helpful? You know, I find that phrase, building your career, to be an interesting thing because I don't think I ever consciously thought that's what I was doing. Um, but you, the answer to your, your direct question on seeking out mentors, I, I would say I have had so many mentors and I don't know that I ever walked into an office thinking I've got to get this person to be my mentor. <clears throat> But as you start to work with people and you build relationships with people, those mentoring relationships can build. And there are people that are naturally born to be mentors to others and others that are not so. But, and, and so you start to seek that out too. But I don't know that I consciously sought to build my career. I don't know that I consciously sought to find mentors. Every place I've worked has had a mentoring program that has limited success but the whole point is to help young people in a new organization not fail at their new job um, so turn that aside for a moment and let me just say that from a career building perspective what's a better description of how i think i've experienced my career is i started out by pursuing what was interesting to me and uh, found things that i love doing and enjoy the aspects of it. Uh, uh, I love being in the laboratory and doing experiments. Now you look at the job I do now, I, I can't do that anymore. I have to have students do that for me. But that's what got me into it. I love going to the laboratory, um, operating equipment, learning how to operate a certain piece of equipment that can take a piece of uranium metal and heat it up to a thousand degrees Celsius, you know, and all the different pieces that went into making that safe and, and happen. Um, those were, those were things that got me going. I got into nuclear engineering in the first place because back in high school, nuclear reactions kind of caught my interest in an AP physics class. So you follow, I was following my interests and at the same time, you know, I got into graduate school. My initial plan was to get a master's in one year and then go out and make money. Uh, the project was fascinating. The mission was compelling to work on this project that I was working with. And so it, I stuck it out for five and a half years to get a PhD. And then from there, I went to work at Argonne National Laboratory for 11 years. And while, while I was at Argonne, I joined Argonne in 1992 I was 27 years old and the group I was working with had about eight people and I was the youngest person in the group. There was another guy who was in his mid thirties and he, his nickname was the kid. And so I worked with all these people that were in their fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties. They're, you know, they're, they, they just never retired <laughs> and they just kept working because they loved what they were doing. So when you think about the opportunity I had to work with these seasoned individuals who knew so much and just were pouring 
their knowledge and experience into me. You know, and some people do that through positive interactions. Some people do it through not so positive interactions, but I learn from everybody. And at the same time, I've never felt like I was going to leave any of my jobs or I was going to retire from every job I've ever had. So far, I have not succeeded in that goal. But when I was at Argonne, I never wanted to leave. Sequence of events took me into academia. I went to Purdue. I was never going to leave. Sequence of events made it uh, time to leave, and I wound up at Texas A&M. And right now, I don't plan to leave. I'm, I'm here until I, I'm not. And so, but again, it's, I don't feel like it's me directing my career where I've got a certain number of boxes to check along the way to go here, 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 and here so that I look a certain way. My oldest daughter, um, she, had, she had the personality that as soon as her fifth birthday was over, that evening she was planning her sixth birthday. And, you know, just always looking forward to the next thing, to the next thing. And that's, that's a little bit opposite to my personality. Um, when, I, when I talk about not leaving a job, I um, if, you, if you live your life always planning for something in the future, eventually the last thing you have to plan for is your death. You know, it, it, and so I'm not saying live in the moment, but there is a certain point of um, enjoying the day and letting tomorrow take care of itself. Um, and so those are different aspects that kind of ride with my personality, ride with um, just kind of the context of who I am. And so, again, I feel like I've been talking a little bit too much, but I guess, I guess this is my interview, so I, I guess that's okay. So I'll just pause for a moment, see if any other questions. And to back up just a moment, Dr. McDevitt, at the open, you mentioned you were outlining all of your responsibilities and um, all that you manage. But you made the comment about you, you weren't looking to leave, be the director of the Nuclear Power Institute. You, you basically acquired it. Yeah. And over the course of this year, of you not only acquiring it, but leading it su successfully, what have you learned um, about yourself um, at least in this up uh, in this situation, maybe even a, perhaps another situation, but in a time where you've acquired something you weren't looking for, that was a whole lot more work, uh, more uh, stress than you had anticipated. What what one thing would you say you've learned most about yourself? Um, and again, there's multiple layers to that question, but I think if I was trying to identify what I've learned the most, I've honestly not pondered the events in that context. So I'm going to be making this up as I go, but um, I didn't do it to learn something about me. But one of the things that I think has become clear, not just from this, but from other things is that um, one, I enjoy building good programs. I enjoy having a positive impact on the future of people. And I enjoy um, building a team to do such things of that type. So when you think about 
this phrase, having acquired the Nuclear Power Institute, that feels like the wrong word to me. I didn't go out and acquire it. Um, at the same time, when you think about how I became, when I think about how I became the director of the Nuclear Science Center before it became the Nuclear Engineering and Science Center, the institution was having some severe challenges. And when it was discussed with me, I felt like I could make a difference. When the Nuclear Power Institute opportunity was brought up to me, I felt like I could make a difference. And um, one of the things that goes all the way back to my early days after my PhD and I was at Argonne, another one of my bosses, John Ackerman, a really good friend of mine, a very tough individual, but he was talking about the key to success in the space that we're working in is flexibility, learning how to climb a learning curve, and striving for excellence. Another way he would say it is make yourself indispensable. Um, but those three things are how it happens. You, you wind up being able to climb learning curves. So there's a sense where there are, there are elements to my success or the success of NPI this past year that have to do with the entire spectrum of what I've worked through. And at the same time, um, those elements um, are now brought to bear today in the Nuclear Power Institute. So, you know, yeah, I've never done workforce development until last year. I didn't comprehend the meaning of our WIT program and some of these things. I've come to love them and find passion in them now for the impact that they have. But, um, you know, it wasn't what I was seeking. So what did I learn? I, I, it was more of a matter of doing it again, not so much a new epiphany on myself, if that makes sense. So uh, one of the uh, points you brought up earlier was really interesting. So as you, you said, you, you weren't consciously building your career and consciously seeking out mentorship. Do you think that's accurate across most aspiring young professionals? And now that you're on the other side, is it different? Are you consciously seeking out to mentor students that, that come to you? I, I don't know if I can declare with a broad brush what it's like for everybody. I think there's so many different types of people that um, I've seen people that approach things kind of like the way I do. And I've seen people that are def definitely approaching it from a career building method. You go through the, uh, the formal counseling that you give to students and the advice that's given to students. I broke almost every rule through my career. There's this advice given to graduate students that you should go to a different place. When you get your bachelor's degree, you should go to a different university for your master's and a different university for your PhD. I got all three of mine from one place. And I know people that have done that. But the purpose of doing it the other way is to expand your infrastructure, expand your connections, and expand your horizons. And so that whole idea of broadening your perspective is so prevalent in our education system, even at the freshman level, we're, and in, in the School of Nuclear Department of Nuclear Engineering. We encourage people to come to us because you can do nuclear security, you can do nuclear reactor physics, you can do nuclear fuels, you can do health physics, you can do uh, thermal hydraulics and power engineering, all those different things. The, the fact of the matter, you're only going to do one, maybe two, if you're really talented. And so um, 
the idea of broadening your horizons is an educational paradigm that is very good for gathering in large groups, but uh, it does tend to miss the perspective of focusing on the individual a little bit. And so this idea of focusing on the individual gets to your question as I work with my own group of graduates, and I've got 11 working in my group right now, every single one of them has different strengths and weaknesses. And I have to try to get to know them and counsel them towards their strengths and towards their project and their thesis and their career goals. And uh, I have seen everything from uh, the, the box checkers that are trying to get every experience they can and those that are just saying, you know, I just really want to do this. The ones that are focused that are, more, I just want to do that. That's kind of like I was. The, the box checking mentality, those students do well too. That's a very good way to be and it sets you up for a good career, but it also creates the situation where you have um, students that might join a, a job because it's their starter job. They want, they want another two to five years of experience instead of trying to invest in their employer the way their employer is investing in them and trying to just do a good job within it. So it's all, it's all more focused on, on their internal drive to get to somewhere, which goes to that point I was making earlier that if you're just driving to get to somewhere, you're never there and it starts to be dissatisfying over time. Trying to be satisfied in the day is, is what I would try to counsel my students to enjoy what they're in the middle of as frustrating as it can be from time to time because life's full of frustrations. So um, I don't know if I fully answered your question, but let me tell you uh, one example. I had one graduate student. He was an undergraduate student and he was really brilliant and is still really brilliant. Um, he would have been an excellent PhD student would have succeeded and gone off to do high levels of research in science. Um, when he was working on his master's, you know, he was the guy in the lab building equipment that didn't exist. You know, he was just really that innovative. And he just said, I'm going to go for some job interviews just to get the experience. He got a job offer, took the job, left grad school. I'm sure he's doing great, but his random box checking changed his direction. And um, I, I, I'm hoping and I think it's true that he's probably happy where he is. So I'm not pointing to it as um, a negative, but I'm pointing to it as there's different personalities, different styles of interacting with your career. And there are those students that have it planned out 10 years in advance. I barely get it to next week in my thought. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm doing tomorrow. So, you know, it's, it's, it's very much differences that come from personality, drive, motivations, and perspective on your worldview. So th those are all different things to think about when you go there. Great, thank you. Uh, so we're getting towards kind of the near end uh, of the podcast. So I just have a, a couple more questions. Uh, so why do you think perseverance is so important, especially in today's time? Um, well, there's, there's one sense where you don't have a choice. You're either moving with the course of events in an interactive way or they're just happening to you. And um, 
there's a certain sense where you cannot prevent the fact that time happens to everybody. Um, and so, but the idea of when you think of perseverance being a commitment to attention to detail and uh, excellence and striving to do the best with what you're doing at any moment, whether you're cooking dinner or, or writing a report or melting uranium like I like I have done in the past. Um, it's you it impacts how you interact with the events and the people around you. So it, it, it uh, I'm not sure it, it, you're, we're getting almost um, very theoretical in, in, in the question, but that's, that's some of the things that I was thinking with that particular question. Thank you. So um, do you have any last advice for students that are going through uh, like maybe one of our WIT programs or yeah. uh, any students coming through high school that, uh, you know, maybe have some passions or maybe they're box checkers, uh, like you said, uh, yeah. on you know, some of the next steps or things to think about as they go forward? You know, one of the things, this, this probably goes with the importance of perseverance from your previous question, but there's so much of life that has more to do with career than more to do than career. But the center of, of your existence, your family and other things, I think one of the, the most Difficult and rewarding challenges that perseverance will allow you to overcome comes with marriage or not marriage, um, uh, family relationships, um, your faith relationships. Perseverance through those are not easy on a day-to-day -day basis. But if you can't, if you don't have that foundation, to where you have commitment to the harder things in life, like maintaining a spouse relationship. Um, maintaining a career is going to be really hard. <laughs> and so there's a certain sense where without that foundation, the career becomes what you live for. And when it's not making you happy, you bail. And if you bail too frequently, you become unhirable. Uh, into the positions you actually would want to have. I've reviewed resumes. When somebody has a career path that every six months they've changed jobs, they don't get serious consideration. And that's, that's almost a box checker, but it also reflects dissatisfaction or incompatibility with commitment or other different things. When an organization, when I'm looking to hire somebody, I'm looking to hire a team member, a family member in the group, not family in the sense that we all go out to dinner all the time and live together in a commune, but a family in the sense that we're committed together to the same goal and we don't have rogue personalities out there driving their own agendas and doing their job when they feel like it. And so the advice to a student is to consider who you are. Um, be persistent. Be committed to 
the important things, what's important to you so that you know what you're committing to. And then the things that come with a job, apply that same level of detail, that same level of excellence, so that when your employer or your coworkers look at you, they can depend on you. And not because of what you know, not because of where you've been, but because of who you are right there in that moment. So those are just some thoughts there. Well, thank you so much. I think we're uh, pushing the end of our conversation. So I, again, really appreciate your, your time today, Dr. McDevitt. And uh, I think you've given us a lot to think about and some really great thoughts that uh, hopefully our listeners uh, will be able to understand and, and take part in their own lives. Well, I hope it was helpful. And uh, I certainly enjoy talking. I don't always enjoy talking about myself, but you know, it, it is what it is. And it, it is good to share these thoughts together. So thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. <laughs>